Hey, welcome to Optimize Your Body with Martin Silva, where we talk raw, uncut facts to truly help you optimize your body. Hey, welcome to another episode of Optimize Your Body. I have a guest on the line over in uh, in New York City, and his name goes by he goes by the name of Jordan Syatt. How are you doing over there, Jordan? I'm doing well, man. Thank you. It's super loud here in New York, which it always is. So if you hear any cars beeping, that's why. But yeah, uh, everything's good, man. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, man. I'm good. Yeah, my uh, actually my business part- partner, Optimize Your Body. He's actually based in New York. So uh, we, we yeah we do podcasts together, and it sounds like some crazy <laughs> stuff going down in New York City. Made the sirens is is alive. It's nonstop, always. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I I leave the uh, the guests to do the uh, introduction because I sometimes cock them up, mate. So I'll uh, I'll leave it to you to introduce yourself to the audience, Jordan. Yeah, cool, man. Basically, I'm just uh, I'm a short, bald Harry Potter nerd who uh, <laughs> likes to lift weights. And um, basically, I got involved with fitness when I was really young. So I started I started wrestling when I was eight years old. And so that like was my life. It was just wrestling and girls. That's all I thought about. And uh, then I made varsity as a freshman in high school, so I had to cut a lot of weight. So I was cutting from like 112 pounds to 103 pounds every week. And so I had to figure out, well, how do I get stronger and get leaner at the same time? So I actually ended up applying to uh, be an intern at a gym nearby. Just I was like, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. Just let me come in and, and learn from you. And so I worked there from when I was 14 years old all the way through the end of high school. And, uh, and that was it. Like I just never looked back. And then I basically I was a competitive power lifter for a long time, uh, deadlifted four times my body weight. And then I was like, enough of that. Um, and then from there, I ended up – I just started writing online when I was in college. I started, I started my website in 2011. just started writing articles. Um, and then – through a crazy chain of events, Gary Vaynerchuk ended up finding me, and uh, I ended up coaching Gary for about three years, and uh, and now I'm just living in New York City, doing my online thing, posting on YouTube, posting on Instagram, my own podcast, and that's pretty much it. Man, that's awesome. Um, yeah, talking about Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, that's how you pronounce his surname, right? Is it Vaynerchuk? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So he's also known by uh, as, as Gary V. Just just for the listeners, you know, uh, uh, Gary's obviously a very successful entrepreneur. He's a New York um, top seller uh, or top selling author. Obviously, um, yeah. So he's he's kind of a big profile, and uh, also he's a, obviously he's a speaker, and I don't know if you want to call him an internet personality, but yeah, just um, I'd like to jump into that, George, because um, it must must have been you know, pretty much a life-changing experience taking someone like that on board to, to train, yeah? Someone who's, uh, can be that influential on, on your life as well as, you know, all the other stuff. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, it was crazy because I followed Gary for years. Yeah. And uh, when, I, when I got the opportunity, I thought it was a joke. I didn't think it was real. I thought it was like a, I thought they were playing a prank on me. And because uh, I, was, I was actually living in Israel at the time. I graduated college and my business was online, so I moved to Israel for a while. I was just working online from Israel, and then I got the opportunity to coach Gary, and I thought they were joking. And uh, so I came to New York, and I started coaching him. And, and it was, you know, by that point in time, I'd been coaching for ten years. I'd been coaching for a decade, and I'd, I'd understood like how to be a good coach and how to work with clients and everything. But uh, what was interesting is like when you start coaching someone that you've looked up to for a long time, and like more has more of like a celebrity status it's very odd to like tell them what to do 
Mm. It's very odd to be like, all right, like now, like almost like put pressure on them and treat them like you would any other client. So it was a, it was surreal from a coaching perspective, but quickly, quickly got that out of the way and, and got, got what I had to do done. And Mm. and it was a great, great experience. He's a really cool guy. Incredible. And, uh, if I, if I remember rightly, I believe he did have a few other trainers prior to finding you. Is that correct? If I got that right? Yes. So he had, he had one main coach before me and he's one of my best friends in the world, Mike Vacanti from on the regimen. And, uh, actually right now. So I, Mike coached him for two years. Then I coached him for three years. And now for this year, actually we're flip flop flip flopping. I'm doing three months, Mike's doing three months, and we go back and forth like that. Wow. That's, that's great. I was going to say, um, yeah, well, what, what kind of things have you learned from, from Gary? Because obviously, I've been following him for a while as well, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. But um, yeah, you must have learned a lot about him in terms of, obviously, training, coaching, because coaching someone like, like you said, someone you look up to, is that's a, cha- a massive challenge within itself, and especially initially when you're kind of breaking the ice and getting to know them and stuff. But um, what, what do you think um, you've learned things which have been beneficial for you, whether it's business or anything really, mate, um, from Gary or mindset, anything really? Yeah, I mean, I've learned a lot, but I will, I'll, I'll preface with this. It's really interesting to hear how people just sort of assume the dynamic is, right? It's like people, mm. oh, you coach Gary, like he must, you, like, you must be like learning so much. It's like, it's like any other client that you work with. It's yeah, like it yeah. just you work with someone who's who's a banker. Like you're not like, wow, you must be learning a lot about banking right yeah, now. That's like, true. You know, it's like it's a client and he's super busy. And like, yeah, it, if I get 45 minutes with him, uh, then it's amazing. It's a really like lucky day. Wow. Um, oh, OK, I didn't think about that. Yeah, you, for, you forget they got limited time. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like we're hanging out and like we're just shooting the shit. And he's like, you know what? Let me just do like the analysis on your business and figure this out. Like yeah. that's like he's he's up from five a.m. and he doesn't stop until like midnight or one a.m. And most of the stuff that I learned from Gary is just from from watching, like mm. just from watch what he does. And I think mm. it's probably the greatest benefit that I've learned is is he works so fucking hard. Mm. I don't. People get it. I really – and I, I think that because I didn't get it. I remember after after I got the job and they were like, all right, great. Like you're going to coach him and I was still living in Israel. He sent me a text message and I replied to the text message but he didn't respond back. Mm. And I was like, oh, no. Like I think I ruined my chances. Like I think I screwed up. And it's not like he didn't reply because he was upset. He re- didn't reply because he's doing a million other things all day, every day. Of course. And I didn't consider that he's so busy doing work that that's why he didn't reply. And I don't think people really understand it. Like, like if you look at his calendar, literally from 5 a.m. until midnight or 1 a.m. every day, it's booked off from like everything from conversations to travel to showering to eat. Like everything is blocked off minute Scheduled by minute. Scheduled everything. And it's, it's something that just seeing that it, it like opens a new door in your psyche of what's actually possible. Mm. And it's like to see someone working that hard day in, day out for years and years and years, it's like, we make a lot of excuses in our heads as to like how hard we actually can work or even how hard we think we're working right now. And I think before I started with Gary, I thought that I was working really hard and then I was like, Oh, you know what? I'm really not working that hard. Like yeah, yeah, I yeah. A harder, and I think that's probably the the most important benefit from just sort of watching is like just being a, a, a fly on the wall and having access to his calendar and traveling with him everywhere he goes is seeing how damn hard this guy actually works. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, and I guess one more question was on the topic of Gary. This is kind of selfish because I'm, as I said, I'm a big fan. But uh, no, you because I, I heard you saying before. Obviously, for example, social media, right? Now, um, over the years, I've watched your... Um, well, actually, I've, I've been following you for probably about half a year now. But even in that time, I've noticed your, your social media growing. But once again, that comes back to work rate, right? Now, I heard, I heard you saying something like, I think you were posting once a day. And Gary was like, nah, bro, you got to post three times a day, every day. And he was like checking you on it as well, right? Now, that yep. is a lot of work, my friend. Because even for me to post like once a day, you know, I mean, like you said, we make excuses. We just, we, we, we waste a lot of time anyway. Um, especially talking about social media. I guess that's something else we can talk about. You know, we tend to waste a lot, a lot of time on our phones nowadays anyway. But for me, just doing one a day uh, I find was hard, hard graft Jordan on top of clients and stuff so yeah like that, that's an example right three three posts per day and you just kept that consistency as well right Jordan yeah I mean so the first day that he told me to do that I was like there's no way I'm gonna do that like just it, in my head I was like I, I don't have enough content ideas for three times a day every day and never mind the time and uh, so the first day I did it twice I posted twice. And then the next day I came in and he asked, he was like, did you post three times? I was like, yep. And he was like, no, you didn't. I saw you posted twice. And I was like, ah, (laughs) damn it. And so, but then that was on like December 27th, 2016. And then December 28th, I posted three times and I didn't stop posting three times a day, every single day until June. And between that time, my audience went from about 5,000 to over 200,000. Uh, wow. and it was like, wow. it was in, I mean, I had Gary and I'm traveling with him all over the world. And then I had a full client load online and I had my inner circle membership and I had like all of my other content that I was doing across other platforms. So, but basically what happened was I was literally spending eight hours a day, every single day on Instagram, at least just wow. that, like wow. just from thinking of the content, making the content, writing the content, posting the content, answering questions, and then starting over again for two more times that day. So it's like, it was relentless, constant over and over and over again, all day, every day. But, and a lot of people are like, there's no way I could do that. I'm thinking, you know, maybe not, but I'm glad I did it for those, for that year. Cause it, that year changed my life forever. Oh, for sure. I can't, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, that's the, the, the audience you have now. And, um, what, what kind of challenges have you faced along the way, though, Joe? Because uh, that kind of time you have to put in, right? And, you, you know, you want to stay engaged with your audience. But obviously, it must get overwhelming at times. And uh, I just wanted to ask you kind of what challenges you face along the way. Because you do get a lot of people kind of trying to shoot you down online and stuff, which I'm sure you don't take personally or anything like that. But, you know, all this thing, all this kind of stress, this moderate stress kind of accumulates, right? So um, what, what, what's the main challenges you face? Because you've built, you know, all your businesses online now. So it must have well, come I mean, with some setbacks. Of course. I mean, it's, it's actually really interesting. So I was a competitive power lifter for years. And, like, I deadlifted 535 at, 100, at a body weight of 132. Like, my entire life was was myself working out and fitness and training and, and like wanting to reach a peak level of performance. Um, and a lot of my audience now doesn't even know that side of me because that was earlier in my career and I don't really post about that stuff anymore. But, um, when I started posting like crazy and going really hard on social media, my own personal fitness took a backseat for the first time in my entire life. Um, 
I mean, it was hard enough as it was just traveling with Gary. Like I spent more time in airplanes and hotels than I did in my own apartment for the better part of the first two and a half, three years. But like when you add in posting three times a day, every day on Instagram, not to mention Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and whatever, like it was bonkers. It was absolutely insane. So I had to take my own personal fitness and put it on the back burner, which meant I ended up getting weaker and I ended up adding more body fat. And, uh, I will say though, it was probably the best decision I ever made for my business by being able to take a longer term look at, at what I wanted to do and say, okay, for the next two, three years, I'm not going to be at a peak level of physical performance, but doing that will allow me to later in life have the life that I want. And I will be able to then get back up to that peak level of performance by giving myself this opportunity to get to my, to get my business where I want it to be. Oh, wow. Yeah. It goes to show, see, something has to give, see, Jordan, at that level, isn't it? People don't, people from the outside look in, they're like, oh, you know, he's killing it. But that just goes to show what you've told us. You have to sacrifice. Well, you pretty much had to sacrifice your health somewhat. Obviously, you didn't, you didn't compromise your health altogether, but you had to let that take a back seat, right? So, um, and I looked um, at your transformation as well. And obviously, you, at what point then did you decide, right, okay, now I've got to a point where, you know what, like I'm, I'm getting where I want to get now with the business stuff. Now I can start allocating more time into, you know, looking after my body and maybe shifting body fat and shaping up a bit. Was it like a, was it like a moment or was it just like, right, now I've got to just slowly start getting back my ass back into gear with my fitness? You know, it was – actually, it's really interesting. Like if you look at my, uh, my Instagram, I made a post in September of last year being like, all right, enough's enough. It's like I got I to gotta get this stuff together. And then after – it took me about another month, month and a half after that post, and then I finally like really got into it. But there was just one time I was in the gym and I was like, man, I, I'm nowhere near where I used to be. I was way too tired and out of breath. Um, and like, obviously my physique wasn't where I wanted it to be. And, and up until that point I was okay with it. Like I wasn't upset. I was like, this is a decision I made. I'm all right with that. But, but I vividly remember, and I took a picture of it cause I, I like documenting different points in my journey. I took a picture of it. I was sitting on, on the preacher curl machine and I just took a picture of myself in the mirror and I was like, all right, I've spent the last three years coaching Gary and giving myself, giving him everything and, and giving my business everything. Now it's time to like sort of give it back to myself. Mm. And, uh, and that's what I did. It took me about a month. And I think the reason it took me a month is because getting, creating a new habit, even if it was a previous habit, it's hard. And mm. this is what we talked to our clients about. Like it's very yes. difficult. Very and I think uh, yeah, definitely. It, it took a significant amount of mental and emotional effort in order to like, to get that habit back into place. Mm. Um, and so, so yeah, that's pretty much it. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that's great because that kind of uh, gives us a segue onto what I wanted to talk about, about um, behavior change and actually um, creating healthier habits and changing habits because I always explain to people it is difficult for anyone to, to break a habit regardless of who the person is. Behavioral change can be difficult. Um, but obviously, I think one of the main issues is a lot of people try to go from like zero to a hundred and, and change too much at once. Uh, and yep. that's where, you know, having someone like yourself who, who was a trainer, I've been a personal trainer myself for like 13 years now. 
And I also come from a competitive background as well myself. I actually did a, a bodybuilding show on the weekend for the first time in like three and a half years. So, nice, um, man. yeah, man. So, so talking about habits, I mean, um, you know, just, just from, just from that mindset of competing, I've competed like nine times. Um, I changed a lot of behaviors and a lot of habits. And, uh, now I have a lot, uh, a healthier relationship with food and so on and so forth. But that came at the price of uh, developing like the binge eating disorder from restrictive eating and all that kind of stuff. But it, it is a journey. But um, I guess what I wanted to ask you is like, what kind of is your approach nowadays? Because I know most of your clients are online. And this is another thing that I'm kind of trying to uh, adapt to now is switching over. For, I, I'm, I coach people primarily as a personal trainer, but I'm slowly building up um, online clients. And I find it is very different coaching someone online. You know, it's, uh, it's hard enough yeah. to get people to change behaviors as it is. But um, I guess the question is, yeah, what, what approach do you use nowadays? Because uh, generally I find changing one thing at a time works for most people. But then for some people who, uh, I don't know, for example, someone who's overweight, sometimes getting results fast within three to four weeks gives them motivation to, to keep pushing forward. You know, it, so it varies, but yeah. What, what's your approach uh, nowadays, George? I mean, depends on the person I know, but <laughs> big <laughs> well, question, mate. That was a stack question. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, it, it's actually, you hit on something that I think is really important. And I think it's, I'm actually, I'm really glad you brought it up because a lot of coaches either are too scared to bring it up or, I think this is more common, or they don't know enough to bring it up. And just the fact that what you just said tells a lot about you as a coach, and I respect it immensely. What you, aside from the fact that it's an individual approach, you you very specifically highlighted the group of individuals who tend to do better with a little bit more motivation from the very beginning, with more rapid progress. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yep. it's almost taboo in the fitness industry to say that someone should do rapid progress for like rapid balance. It's like almost like it's it's you get ostracized immediately. If if people get really mad, like, no, you should never do fast progress, never do rapid fat loss. But if you actually look at the research, yes, the studies, I was going to say morbidly obese or obese individuals who, who have a lot to lose, they tend to do much better with a period of time with rapid results that increase their motivation. And also they get radical health benefits right from the very beginning. So they get, they feel better on their joints. They just feel more weight off of their chest. They feel healthier. They see the results more clearly. They get more motivated and that, that seeing those results triggers more action and then more action triggers more results. And then the motivation comes with it. So what you just said is really important. I think for people who have, who are, or are morbidly obese and are very overweight, I tend to go with a more rapid approach in the beginning, Mm -hmm. just an initial rapid phase. For the people who come to me who are already relatively fit, and relatively is like it's a pretty big, um, it's a pretty big range, right? Like, I mean, it could be anywhere oh, yeah. from, from like I don't know, a dude who's twelve percent body fat to, uh, I mean, a woman who's upwards of twenty eight percent body fat. Like, you can there's a pretty big range of of relatively fit. For them, I tend to take a more slower and steadier approach especially if they're dealing with any disordered eating, food anxiety, binge eating. Um, and I mean, for some people I'll have them count calories and for some people I won't, I won't have them count calories Mm -hmm. for some people. I'll have them step on the scale every day. For some people I won't have them step on the scale at all. Mm. Uh, it does change on the person, but the most important thing is paying attention to the individual and seeing what it is they need. And a lot of times what that means is just 
as a coach, learning how to ask the right questions. Yeah. I think a lot of coaches, they have their, their approach and like, this is what you do. But I think the best coaches, their approach is adapted to the individual rather than trying to, rather than trying to change the individual and sort of mold them to your approach. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's, uh, if there's anything I've learned, um, it's just that you can never really ask enough questions, right? <laughs> it's the, because it, what, what you ask them a question and then that normally follows up with another question. And it's kind of getting the person to, to, to realize, you know, what's going to work for them and obviously finding approaches which are specific to that individual, as you said. Yeah, couldn't agree more. There's, uh, yeah, you hit on some gems there. But yeah, as an online coach, do you find it um, a different world uh, coaching people online to what you were, you know, to, to, to the way you were communicating, for example, with people uh, as a trainer? Have you found it a bit more challenging in the sense or? Yeah, I think it's more challenging than in person because yeah. in person you can get your tone involved. Um, I will say though, it's actually pretty crazy. Online coaching tends to produce better results than in person, especially if we're talking about a fat loss body recomposition style program. If the goal is more focused on losing fat or building muscle, almost across the board, not just with myself, but with other coaches, I see way better results than in person. And I think the reasoning is more or less very clear. If someone is willing to pay for online coaching, they don't need someone there with them to motivate them to get to the gym. A lot of times they just want to be given the plan, tell me the plan, and I'll do it. Mm. And that's it. And those people are obviously way more likely to see results than someone who needs to have an in-person trainer to walk them through every step as that accountability. Mm. Great point. Uh, Also, with online coaching, it tends to be more frequent check-ins. With in-person coaching, like it's usually one, two, maybe three or four times a week, maybe if they're really going to pay a lot of money. Otherwise, it's it's almost every day for mm-hmm. online coaching. Like with the check-ins, the accountability, you get the nutrition, you get even though it's more brief interactions. I'd rather have a more brief interaction on a consistent basis than one long interaction on an inconsistent basis mm. because a lot of times that brief interaction, you can answer whatever question, whatever problem they're having in the moment, and you also have that accountability. But with in-person, it's like you have one big conversation. A lot of times you feel like you cover so much. You're like, yeah, they're finally going to get it, and then they, you don't see them for a week, and they don't do anything. It's like by having that accountability on a day-to-day basis, it offers a lot more support and encouragement. Yeah, it's a very good point. And what I find myself is you, you're kind of um, educating people a lot more, well, I am anyway, uh, a lot more on the nutrition side of it as well, I find, when you're doing the online stuff. And as you say, I, I never I never thought of it like that, though, because that kind of um, alludes to what we were talking about, kind of giving people too much information at once, because in one hour, you can kind of, yes, you know, I'll give them one or two tips on nutrition, blah, 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 and then something about training or whatever it is. And then it's kind of like it's either overload or it's the fact that you're not making them accountable regular like you would you, you, every single day you're in contact with your online clients pretty much yeah most of them isn't it so uh yeah um some some good points there i just wanted to um yeah one more question about the online coaching stuff um which just kind of slipped my mind a bit but um 
Yeah. <laughs> I was getting into that then. No, that's what I was going to ask you about, about meal plans. Uh, something just sprung to mind then, and I was thinking, um, you know, because you were just saying then, a lot of people kind of, they want the answer. They want the plan. Um, you know, humans tend to want to get stuff done faster, right? People don't want to mess around, right? Patience is a big one. Uh, you know, doing, doing fitness the right way and doing it the fast way, two different things all together, right? Um, but yeah, giving people meal plans. Now, you know, studies show most people don't actually stick to meal plans long term, right? Now, like in my experience, I would say, I don't know, 85, 90% of people, um, they're not going to follow it long term. It might be a good short term thing for, um, I find this is work well, for example, for people I've had who are overweight or obese and they need, and they, they want to get the fast results. Sometimes for maybe three weeks, I'll, I'll write them out a meal plan occasionally and a varied meal plan just to get them on the right tracks. And then obviously we'll always, for the most part, end up kind of switching things up and getting people to track. But again, that depends on the person. So do you actually still um, prescribe meal plans to people, Jord, or I mean, people who request or I mean, how, what's your approach there? Yeah, absolutely not. I hate meal plans. <laughs> I, hate, I hate meal plans. So do I, I, bro. Glad I'll you said never, that. <laughs> ever, ever do it. It's one of those things where it's like giving someone a meal plan is like, giving a man a fish, giving someone calorie and macronutrient guidelines is like teaching them how to fish. Yep. Right. So a lot of people want the meal plan cause they just want to be told what to do. Just tell me what to eat and I'll do it. And that works great until they either don't want to eat what you've put on the meal plan and, or like they go on vacation and, or they're just like, what, whatever the excuse is, but by giving people calorie guidelines, and it doesn't have to be rigid. It doesn't have to be like you can only eat 1,750 calories. Like you can give them a guideline of like anywhere between 1,600 and 1,900 within that range or whatever. Like you could have high days and low days. You could, and listen, you could structure your meal frequency however you want. But by giving them the ability to, to choose and to see like what essentially what foods they can have and in what portions and when, then they can adapt it to their life and to what they enjoy. Mm. It, it's one of the, one of the things that I, when I really started coaching people internationally, which was probably about 2013, 2014, I started getting people asking for meal plans. And I was like, listen, what's available to me in my grocery store is very different than what's available to you in your grocery store. Like I could write a meal plan for you based on what I have in, I was living in Boston at the time, like in Boston, Massachusetts, but like what you have in Singapore is really fucking different. Mm. So it makes no sense for me to write you a meal plan based on what I have. I would way rather give you calorie calorie guidelines. Calorie and protein is really all I give. And then allow you to choose your favorite foods in the portions that you prefer at the times that you prefer throughout the day so you can eat what you enjoy and learn how to make a diet that fits your lifestyle rather than trying to make your lifestyle fit your diet. Mm. Mm, very good point. And that's, that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about life does get in the way. You know, food is pleasurable and it's also a social thing as well, right? So trying to cut stuff out, like, because a lot of people have that mindset of, right, I'm going to eliminate all this crap food now. And it's like, well, sometimes it's actually better to focus on what I find is like adding foods that you're missing. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the initial thing, I'm, I'm always the same as well. It's like the protein and the calories. Let's start there because you've got to start with the big rocks. And, you know, you always bring that point across on your, um, on your Instagram. You know, it's like 
calorie what what kind of cat what's your what's your energy balance are you con- consuming more than you're eating uh or you know are you in a calorie deficit right because most people who want to lose body fat lose weight wherever it is that's the that's one of the big that's the big rock right um but yes yeah, it's, it's i think that's so important and um yeah so i was going to say yeah, about the uh the the, ca- the calorie deficit right and um flat kind of fitting in certain foods and um having that flexibility is what i'm trying to say is is very important for most people um on that note obviously you've just finished the uh the big mac challenge right jordan yeah (laughs) i'd like to i'd like to um get some of your uh get your story on that how did that go it was great man it was really good and i'll say from the very beginning i'll I'll say even before i explain it I am not promoting anybody eat a Big Mac or fast food. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> the The purpose of this challenge was to show people that you can enjoy your favorite foods in moderation and still make progress towards achieving your goals, especially if it's fat loss related. Mm. Um, so what I did was is I ate one Big Mac a day every day for 30 days. Usually the, the most common question after that is, Wait, you you only ate one Big Mac? That's all you ate? No, I ate a regular healthy diet. I had a lot of fruits and vegetables, a lot of lean protein and fish and chicken and meat. But I included within my calorie guidelines one Big Mac every day for 30 days. And I lost seven pounds over the course of the month. And people flipped uh, shit. People went absolutely bonkers. The videos on YouTube, it's already over 100,000 views in like a couple days. Wow. Uh, it's insane. It's People are absolutely going nuts. And it's one of those things where a lot of coaches were like, I don't understand why this is so, so crazy. It's energy balance. And I'm like, that's because you're a coach and you're taking for granted what it's like to be someone who doesn't understand this stuff. That's it's right. like the people who are being fed misinformation, like I could make a post on Instagram about how carbs aren't going to make you fat. And the post beneath mine might be from someone saying carbs do make you fat. So yep. there's so much misinformation. Conflicting out there. evidence everywhere. Uh, sorry, conflicting information everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know what? Enough just me saying it. I'm going to actually show people. Mm. So I showed my, my Big Mac every day. I showed my weigh-ins every day. And people saw the fluctuations going up and down. And people saw like how I would adjust and all these things. And people freaked out, man. It was really, really fun. I'm glad I did it. Yeah, it's an amazing thing to do. Because at first I looked at it and I thought, oh, what's, what's his message here? I'm trying to figure out what he's doing. Then I looked into it and I thought, wow, that's actually, the way you've done it is really good. Because as you say, your message is you don't have to you know, deprive yourself of all your favorite foods. You're not promoting to everyone to eat a Big Mac every day, right? But you're just showing people what can be done. And that just goes to show you know, people, because you know, when, when we're talking to the masses, most people are completely confused when it comes to nutrition, what to eat, you know, how to lose weight, whatever it is. Uh, and that just, just demonstrates, right, that you, know, you, you, you lost weight. But um, I was going to ask you how you felt as well. Did you notice a difference? Because obviously you're you know, really in tune with your health and stuff. Um, how did you feel? Did you notice any difference in terms of how you felt? Yeah, I mean, the first day, and like this is in the, the video on YouTube in the documentary, like the first day I felt like shit. Um, like it just sort of sat in my stomach, just like, ugh, and I didn't want to work out. Um, and I, I don't know if that's because it was the Big Mac or if it's because in that one meal, I ate more fat than I usually do in any mm. one meal. Um, yeah. but after that, I felt fine. Like there were no negative side effects from it. Um, you'll see in the video, like I, I had diarrhea a couple of times. Again, I don't know if that was because of the Big Mac or just because I ended up having diarrhea for another reason, yep. but 
like my strength increased. So a lot of people were like, well, maybe you were losing muscle mass. I'm like, well, I doubt that because <laughs> my strength is getting stronger in the gym. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, I felt great overall. Wow. Yeah. I'll get, I'll, I'll add the link anyway to the, uh, to the show notes. Cause that'll be interesting for, for people to see, but yeah, I just wanted to talk more now. Cause obviously we've talked a lot about the coaching side of it and whatnot. And, um, what's it called? I wanted to talk about, you know, obviously getting people getting in shape because, um, we're always talking about kind of, you know, sustainable health on this podcast and how to, how to do things the right way, uh, instead of trying to do things the fast way. And one of your recent posts was, um, you know, like a calorie deficit is the magic pill that no one wants to take. Right. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Because, you know, as I said, people, most people are always kind of looking for, uh, that fix or, you know, this diet, that diet, or, you know, this type of training, that type of training. And the, the bottom line is most people are in the on or off kind of mentality where it's either on or off. And I used to be there myself. Um, and it's, it's all a journey to get to the point where you're in tune with your body more and you're focusing on how you feel and the most important health markers like, you know, training makes you feel better mentally. Eating the right foods makes you feel better mentally. You know, your mental health improves, your energy, all those kind of things. But to get people to that level can take, you know, it's a journey. So, um, but when it comes to losing body fat and actually um, changing the way your body looks, um, maybe building a better aesthetic physique, um, it is quite straightforward, right? And, but, but it's not easy. So the calorie deficit, it sounds, it sounds quite easy on paper. Um, but yeah, talk to us more about that, mate, about the magic pill. <laughs> it's, I mean, I think the last part of what you just said is really the biggest part. And people get so mad when I say it's, it's just a calorie deficit. They get really mad. They're like, well, it's, it's not that easy. And I'm, it's people conflate ease with simplicity. That's right. And they're not the same thing. And I, I'm always like, listen, you're right. It's not easy. But it is very simple. And, and I think the magic pill that people are looking for, people love the illusion of complexity, which is why like all these like really high-selling fitness programs like P90X and all this other nonsense, they talk about like muscle confusion and like and all these things that don't fucking exist because it sounds really cool and it sounds really complex and they show you these bar graphs that some asshole made in the back of the marketing room like okay we're going to have these red and blue bar graphs with like the like the muscle burning here so it yep. looks like they're burning fat it's like amazing marketing because- shit programs <laughs> <laughs> amazing marketing amazing yeah, amazing credit for that <laughs> made on on built on the foundation of bullshit like this it doesn't exist but they know that people are willing to pay for something that sounds complex and that they can brag to their friends about about how crazy complex it is so like for me i'll always say number one just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy but the other thing i always say is just because it's not easy doesn't mean you shouldn't do it mm. right it's like a lot of people like it's easier said than done i'm like cool just because it's easier doesn't mean you should actually do it mm. like it's, i i never understand the argument when people say yeah but it's easier said than done i'm like what point are you trying to get across mm. like cool it's it's definitely very hard to do now what yep like that's right i'm gonna say <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna take action or not yeah exactly and and i could talk on that myself um in terms of getting into a cat i've just been in a prolonged calorie deficit for the first time in a while for like 11 weeks and brought my best condition to the stage and whatnot. Um, and it's the same kind of simple um, kind of advice that I always give the clients. And we've brushed over this. It's like keeping that protein intake up makes all the difference, right? I find 
Um, you know, it's, it's science shows this as well, you know, for blunting appetite and actually um, it's the most satiating macronutrient, right, protein, which is why Jordan mentioned it earlier, calorie, calorie control and, and protein. Do you find um, that, do you notice a big difference with clients and with yourself when you keep the protein intake, you know, you have an adequate protein when it comes to losing body fat and staying in a calorie deficit? Say that one more time. Um, well, so, so, do you know keeping the protein, uh, keeping your protein intake at an adequate level or keeping the protein intake maybe higher than what you usually would uh, whilst in a calorie deficit, do you find that it, you notice a big difference with people in terms of they're satiated and they can, they can do it a lot easier? Yeah, and, and a hundred, I think it's really important. It's one of the main reasons why I focus on calories and protein. Like calories are, are the most important, right? It's the number one, especially if you're talking about fat loss. Just like if you're not in a calorie deficit, it doesn't matter where your protein is, where your carbs are, where your fats are. If you're not in a calorie deficit, you're not going to lose fat. The next rung down is protein, more than carbs and fats. Because if you're getting enough protein, you're going to be more full. You're going to help yourself be able to maintain your muscle, if not be able to build a little muscle, depending on your status in the gym. Like if you're a beginner, you can still build muscle, even if you're in a calorie deficit. And then it's also going to help you increase your strength as well. And then not to mention the, the feelings of satiety as well. So 100% is calories and protein. And if you're in a deficit, I think having more protein is going to be actually more important than even if you're trying to build muscle in a surplus, mm. like more protein, not because you need it, but because it will help you stay full. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. And yeah, I just, I guess we could just kind of quash all the kind of myths and stuff now and the, and the, the pebbles, which don't matter because I've just proven now I just did a show and I was eating just three meals a day. Obviously the average bodybuilder is going to be in five or six times a day because the, because the frequency is so important. Right. And I had people like messaging me. It was really interesting. I had people who competed and stuff for messaging me saying, no, no, uh, for muscle protein synthesis, you should be eating, you know, I the ideal amount of uh, time to eat is like every four and a half hours and this amount of protein per meal. And I'm just like, I've tried both ways time and time again. Didn't make any difference whatsoever. Um, so, do you know things like like meal frequency and stuff like that, how often you eat? I think that's kind of important for the person in terms of their lifestyle more than anything. But when it comes to actually losing body fat, building muscle, wherever it is, it's really way down the bottom of the list, stuff like that. Um, what are your thoughts on, on like meal frequency and, you know, I don't know, eating carbs after six, all that kind of stuff is just crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, from, from a physiological perspective based on your ability to lose fat, um, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's irrelevant. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you eat one time a day, three times a day, six times a day, 17 times a day, 24 times a day. It doesn't matter as long as your calories and protein are in check. I, the thing that really matters or the reason why it matters is the psychology and like your, where your head is. A lot of times like eating three times a day will be better for people if they prefer larger meals. Um, six times a day is better for people who prefer smaller meals. Mm-hmm. Um, eating intermittent fasting is really good for people who, number one, don't have binge eating issues. If you have binge eating, you shouldn't intermittent fast. And But it is really good for people who, let's say, they like they work 12 hours nonstop, like whatever their job is, like they're, they're a nurse or something like that, where like they're, they're working nonstop all day. Or sometimes even like I've worked with a bunch of, uh, like truck drivers, for example, they go on really long routes and they, they're driving the whole day. And for them, if they're going to be eating, they're going to be snacking on shit. And I'm like, you know what, maybe we just 
literally will make it so you don't eat except for later in the day. And that allows them to better control their food intake. But mm-hmm. this really boils down to number one, being able to say like be individual, mm-hmm. what their lifestyle like, and then also being able to say, okay, so this might be perfect for you in an ideal world, but you binge eat. Mm. So we're not going to do because that's not going to be a good fit for you. So then we have to like manipulate other factors. So it's really very, very individual. It's so funny you say that, Joe, because uh, obviously I've deprived my body a bit recently and I do intermittent fasting. I've been doing it for years and I'm doing it now, but, um, it is, I I forget what it's like once you've done a show, it's very hard to stop eating once you start. So like, because you you know, you get all these signals because you're leptin. I've, I've obviously looked into the, uh, the research and obviously your leptin levels generally, uh, it takes, it could take like, you know, four to six weeks now to kind of balance my hormones back out and I'm natural as well. So that's without taking, you know, steroids or anything like that. <laughs> but, um, le- leptin, um, is low. And I was thinking, man, I'm, that is so true because I'm eating a meal and I'm like, because I'm doing intermittent fasting, I'm, I'm struggling not to binge. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually in, in, increasing my meal frequency now because, uh, just what you said then, even at the level I'm at now, obviously I'm finding it hard not to, uh, not to binge eat. But I wanted to talk to you. We're probably going to ruffle some feathers here, Joe, but um, the whole vegan movement and stuff. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to talk too much about the vegan, uh, the vegan diet. It was just more a case of um, the benefits of meat I wanted to talk about as, as much as some uh, plant-based eaters might not want to hear this. What I did notice, again, I'm talking a lot about myself, but I did learn a lot on this uh, recent journey, and I was eating three big portions of meat every day. And I wasn't having any supplements. Like the only reason, the only time I would use a protein supplement is if I really needed it and didn't hit my intake. Um, but I was having three big portions of meat a day and I was having red meat, George. I was having good quality though, uh, grass-fed red meat five, six times a week. I felt incredible, mate. I noticed a massive difference in how I felt where is the creatine, the cholesterol, the protein, the B12? God, God knows. But obviously, it is the most nutrient-dense food on the planet, pretty much, red meat, right? And yeah, what's your thoughts on that? Because we said about protein, but it's also all the other nutrients you tend to get uh, from good quality sources of meat, right? Which I find help a lot. Man, I mean, I'm all in support of, of eating meat. Like, I'm in big support of it. Like, I don't think... I don't think your entire diet should be made up of red meat, but I also don't think your entire diet should be made up of peas either. You know, it's like a lot of people, they tend to go very black and white whenever they're saying something. It's like, I could say, you know what? I think eating red meat, it's, it's okay. Like you you should be able to eat red meat and someone else is going to be like, Oh yeah. So you're just going to eat red meat for every meal. It's like, it's like, you know, it's, I'll say, you know, I think being able to eat a Snickers is okay. Oh, really? So you're just going to eat sugar for every meal? I'm like, where, why the fuck is this your headspace? Like, why is that how it goes? Like, yeah. no, I'm saying eating red meat throughout the week occasionally is totally fine. And if it makes you feel better, listen to your body. Yeah. Like, that's a really good sign. Some people, they eat red meat and they feel sick. And who knows? Maybe it's because they actually don't have a good response to it. Maybe it's because they just don't like the idea of eating something that used to be living. If that's how you respond to it, don't eat it. Mm. But if you feel really good with it, I know for me personally, like eating red meat two to three times a week at least, I feel amazing. Mm. Like it could be completely psychological, but I know for a fact that if I have a nice steak the night before I have a big lower body workout, I'm going to have a sick session. Like my workout's going to be great. Mm. Like I just feel really good after I have a nice big steak. Um, Other people get nauseous at the thought of that. So I'm not going to tell them that they have to do it. Eating, eating in a way that allows you to feel your best is the most important above all, I think for sure. Mm. But then again, understanding just because someone says they like eating red meat doesn't mean that they're saying they're going to eat red meat every single day. Mm. Unless 
just as as ridiculous as the the any group of people that says their way is the only way and that's the right way it pisses me off right Same. it's like I have nothing wrong with a vegan diet or lifestyle. I have nothing wrong with a plant-based lifestyle. And I, and I have nothing wrong with red meat. But there are vegans who are like fucking vampires who just go after anybody who doesn't eat their way. And there are also people on the carnivore diet who are equally as bad, who Mm -hmm. are like going like vampires in the other direction, going after the exact same thing. So I think the people who are hardcore carnivore and the people who are hardcore vegan and going after people for like personally for their decisions are fucking assholes Mm. and just eat whatever you want to eat and enjoy whatever you want to enjoy and let other people do what they want and we'll all be fine. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's, you, you nailed that one. Um, but yeah, talking about building a healthy relationship with food, right, Joe, because that's, that's our message. I guess that's, that's a big part of our message because, uh, I've been on a big journey myself, and to be at a point where I'm eating kind of—I oh, hate, I hate using this word now—intuitively. That's a, that's a new one, Jordan, as well. They're talking about talking about uh, the tribes and movements. That's a new one now. Just 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 eat intuitively, as if it's an easy thing to do, right? <laughs> oh my god, I—it's funny. I I can always tell ba- like how well I'm going to get along with someone based on like how they speak about different movements or different things. And the fact that you've had to preface that by saying, Oh man, I don't, I don't even like that. I'm going to say this, but like that True. we're very much on the same page, not because of what it actually means, but because of what people are going to think it means when you say it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's, it's you, you, I've noticed a lot of people like, um, online talking about, you know, just eating intuitively. And, and then there's the other movement then where it's like, um, you know, body, what is it like? Love your body kind of thing. There's the other movement where, you know, it's, you know, it's okay oh, to be fat yeah. and fat shame and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah it's it's extreme. And I guess that's where we're at though, Jordan. It's like dealing with like with health and fitness and nutrition, um, it's just got taken to the extreme so much, you know, people grab a little bit of science or something that, it becomes tribal, right? Humans are always looking for some sort of tribe and to belong somewhere as well. I think that's a big part of it. But building the health relationship with food, Joe, because you've um, you've been on your own kind of journey yourself as well, and uh, it seems like you know you're eating whole foods most of the time, and and, and you're in tune with your body. But how do you actually? Um, I know again, there's lots of vari- variables from from person to person, but. Um, how do you actually get that message across to clients and, and people online? What are the things you think about when it's like, right, getting people to build a healthy, healthy relationship with food and, and want to eat whole foods for the most part instead of just eating purely based on the hedonistic value, right? You know, the, how food tastes. So just to clarify, it's like, how do I, how do I encourage people to eat more whole, minimally processed foods? Yeah, sorry, mate. Just stack the question up again there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it sounds, it's funny, like, it sounds too simple, but like I'm all about simplicity and minimalism. Really, the best message that I've used to get that across to people is don't eat like an asshole. Like that's it. Like that's my main message is don't eat like an asshole. And when you do eat like an asshole, don't be an asshole to yourself about it. Right? Like that's it. And usually when you say don't eat like an asshole, immediately people know what that means. Yeah. It's like, all right, enough with the Cheetos. Like you should have a little bit less ice cream. Like just don't have the fucking pizza just because Karen brought pizza in from or for, for work. Like don't eat like an asshole. Mm. Eat some more salads. Have some more salmon. Eat some more fresh foods. And it's always like when then we get into the whole argument of like, well, the people saying you shouldn't eat fruit because you know the fruit has sugar. 
And I'm like, how many fucking people do you know who got fat from eating fruit? Oh, like, who, I know exactly. Who, what obese person is, yeah. is really like sitting in their, in their chair at home <laughs> being like, it was the fucking cherries. Yeah. I'm telling you, the cherries <laughs> are the reason I'm morbidly obese. Like nobody. Come on, no get way. the fuck out of here with that nonsense. It's the least of your worries, and eating some fruit. And like people don't mention, you know, the polyphenols, the fiber, all that kind of stuff. I think that's the least of your worries. Is trying to, and that's another thing. It's like you know, complicating things in that sense, like cutting fruit out and stuff like that. It's like the big rocks, like you said. I'm I should write that down now. That's my next tip. Don't eat like an asshole. That's what I'll tell uh, my online clients. I love that. Well, like. It, it helps. Like it really does help yeah. because I think as coaches, we tend to overcomplicate things because we know so much that we forget what it's like to know so little. Mm. So we tend to go, we do too much. We go overboard with our education when it's like, Hey, listen, John, Jackie, don't eat like an asshole. Mm. That's it. That's like it. if, if the 80% of the time you eat like an adult, you're good. Mm. Absolutely. And that's the thing. I think with, uh, with most trainers as well and coaches, and I, I fall into this trap myself as well. I don't know whether it's your ego jumping in and stuff like that as well, but especially when you take a new client on board, right? And, and most people are expecting in their mind, because of all the information they've seen, they've got in their mind, whatever, they're expecting all this magical stuff, right? And then you're like, right, okay, so on the first program, we're going to do uh, some squats and maybe some, uh, some push-ups on the bench or whatever, it's a bit basic. And then it's like, and I just want you to focus on just hitting this protein and, and roughly sticking to these calories over the space of a week. We'll see how we go. Uh, and then they're like, oh, is, is that it? You know, like in your head, you're thinking you want to give more, but it's so easy to overload people, right? And not to mention, it's... It might look like not much on paper, but in practice, it's actually pretty difficult. It is. Like it's, it is. It's it much. Is. If you're doing a push up properly, if you're doing a squat properly, if you're doing a plank properly, and you're doing these with the right rest periods, and you're actually focusing on your protein, like that's a lot. That's, that's a, a lot. To lot. Change. Definitely, it's a lot to change. It's very difficult. Definitely. Anytime someone Definitely. does one of my programs, and they're like, you know what, like it, it really wasn't that hard. I'll say, how how long did it take you to do the workout? And they're like, I don't know, 20 minutes. I'm like, okay, so you did the workout wrong. You need to go actually lift some fucking heavy weight mm. and not blow mm. through it in 20 minutes. Like it should take you a little bit longer. You should challenge yourself weight wise. And like when people start lifting enough heavy weight, they're like, oh, three sets of 10 is actually really difficult. It is. Straight sets. That's right. And people don't like to rest enough, do they? They're like, oh, okay, well, I rested about 20 seconds in between each set. And I'm like, okay, well, let's double the weights and take the full minute then, yeah? <laughs> you know I mean? If you're resting 20 seconds between sets, that means that you're not lifting heavy enough, period. Like, if by the end of the set, you should absolutely need at least a minute to recover. Like, mm-hmm. not like you should be like getting to the end of the rest period being like, fuck, mm-hmm. already? Like it, that's, that's how you should gauge your, how much weight you're using. Definitely. And talking about training, um, uh, something which has been a game changer for me is, um, is like training frequency and, and, and using that as using that tool, um, with people. So for example, someone who can only get to the gym, say twice per week, you know, I'll have them, uh, doing all the, the, the fundamental, you know, the compound exercises, like 
maybe not a squat, maybe some form of a lunge for most people, uh, deadlifts, all those kind of movements I'll get them doing. Um, so they're hitting the full body, let's just say, um, twice in a week, as opposed to going and doing maybe, I don't know, like a bro split and doing legs one day and back one day or wherever. Um, what kind of, what, what, what's the most effective way to train for most people, I would say, people who are going to lift weights? Um, do you get most of them like training the full body and focusing on that frequency element quite, quite, quite a lot or does it depend? It depends, but I'd say the, the two most common programs that I use are a three times a week and a four times a week program. The yeah. three times a week, it goes lower body, upper body, full body. Uh, I don't like doing up full body every day because when you do full body every day, it reduces the amount of intensity you can do on like certain body parts. So I'd rather go lower body, upper body, full body. And I start with lower body on Monday because Monday's international bench press day. So I'd rather go to the squat yeah. racks and deadlifts on Monday. Um, then the, the four times a week is just an uppers lower split. So it's like lower body, upper body, lower body, upper body. And it's, it's really that simple. Yeah. Simple. Um, yeah, that's it. And then when I say full body, it's kind of like I'll tend to do with most people. I'll do like, like maybe let's say three, three full bodies a week or two full bodies. And the one session, then they might just focus on their weaker body parts and focus on correctional stuff, like hitting the posture muscles, wherever that is. But, uh, I like that. I like the way you, uh, you lay it out. And, um, I wanted to talk about one of your posts quickly about the, um, cause it is something that I always talk about and it's very simple, but it's straight to the point. Um, it's, it's a lot easier to be consistent, right? When you're doing, when you're doing something which is sustainable. So whether that's with the nutrition or the training or wherever it is, um, just give us a little bit more of an insight into that, George, cause we'll, 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 we'll wrap this up soon, but that was a, I wanted to mention that post. Which post the sustainability? Oh, it was when you said it's easy to be consistent when what you were doing is sustainable because people struggle with that element, right? Yeah, I mean sustainability. Like consistency is predicated on sustainability, right? It's like if you can't sustain it, then how in the fuck can you be consistent with it? Mm. But it it's impossible. It's literally impossible. If if you are not being if you're not doing something that's sustainable, then consistency is literally an impossibility. It's only a matter of time before you quit. Mm. So for me. And I think you and I are very much on the same page with this. It, that's why adding one or two small things at a time is the generally better way to go about things. Because number one, you can see if it's actually sustainable. You can see if it's something you enjoy. You can see if it's something that you could do for the long term. And if it's not, then cool. It's one thing. You switch it out with something else. Yep. If you, it's it's like it's like marketing, for example, right? Like if you're trying to do marketing and you're trying to if you're trying to change seven different things at once to see what allows you to get better sales, you don't know what thing worked and what thing didn't True. by doing one thing at a time you allow. Okay, cool. Like, so we added more of this in like, Oh, you know what? Like that doesn't work so well. You started getting diarrhea. Let's switch it out with something else. Yeah. Oh, cool. This actually, it makes you feel better. You feel good. It makes your workout stronger. It keeps you full. Amazing. Now let's try this. Boom. So you add one thing at a time, one thing at a time. And that allows you to build a consistent, sustainable program. The issue is when people either aren't patient enough for that and then they start like being like, well, I want to do more. I want to do more. I want to do more. It's, it's very difficult. And, and with those clients, I, I sometimes have to have like a heart to heart with them. I'm like, listen, there's – basically I say like, why did you hire me? And, and I'll ask questions like – because I don't just want to tell them no. Be like, why did you hire me? And they'll be like, because like I like your approach and I want, I've failed up until this point and I really want to make this stick. And I'm like, do you want rapid results that are less easy to sustain 
or long-term results or like slower results that are easier to sustain. They're like, definitely, I want the the slower results that are easier to sustain. They're like, like emotionally, I want to say the rapid results, but I know logically the longer-term results. I was like, okay, so if you want the slower results that are easier to maintain long-term, what do you think the best choice is? And they'll tell you, like they will tell you outright what the right answer is. And it ten- it's a longer conversation. It's more roundabout. It's not as direct as just saying you're going to do this, but it also does lead to better adherence. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And um, yeah, yeah, because I, I couldn't agree more with the um, – because I, I think on that note, though, I wanted to talk about like accountability and awareness because um, I find well, keeping something sustainable and actually – doing something which is, as we said, you're going to be consistent with. I find the accountability element and, and actually um, awareness. So it kind of brings me to the food tracking element, using that as an example. Now, personally, um, I get much better results with people who track generally across the board, who, who are going to report back to me with uh, the calories they've had average for the week, like you said, within a range, not sticking to 1,521 calories, like just in a range, and, and just, just reporting back to me with their steps, for example. Um, and I find generally I'll get much better results with people. I think the awareness element, I think um, that just without actually getting people to change anything in the past with their nutrition, I've had great results with people just from them being more aware about what's going into their body and like the kind of calories and the amount of sugar they're having and you know a lot of people are under eating protein and all those things make a make a big difference. So, what what kind of percentage of people do you roughly would you say you get tracking with your online clients? I'm just curious, Jord. Oh man, I would say probably ninety seven to ninety eight percent of my my clients track, um, and I think it. You have to also remember the people who are applying to work with me one-on-one, they're generally doing so after knowing that's what I do, right? So like uh, yeah. it's it's an obvious population of people who are like, okay, like either they've done it before and they just want to be get my idea of what numbers they should be following or they haven't done it before and they want to learn how to do it. There are some people who will come to me and be like, hey, like I don't want to track and I have other options for them, but they're, they're very few and far between. And that's for one-on-one. I mean, for my membership, for my one-on-one, for my, uh, inner circle membership, which is not one-on-one coaching. It's more just like they go in and they follow the plans. Yep. I would say, I would say probably closer to maybe 40 to 50% actually track. And then the other like 50 to 60%, um, don't track. They do other methods. I see. And what group of people was that? That was more, what was the second group? That's my inner circle. So I have a monthly membership right. that's not one-on-one coaching. It's more just like they, they join. It's it's very low cost. It's twenty four ninety nine a month. I see. Um, and they workouts, nutrition, and a group community. All right. I got you. Got you. Um, yeah. So we're, we're kind, of, kind of coming to the end now. But um, I guess just, um, just, just to wrap it up, I wanted to talk a little bit about mental health. Um, I guess I was kind of touching on that then because there's, there's going to be a tiny percentage of people who um, will get like, you know, the orthorexia kind of, uh, issue when it comes to tracking food, but it's a very small percentage of people. Um, and I feel like, you know, because I noticed this myself when I was leading up to this show, is like the orthorexia element came into it. You know, I was kind of doing stuff unnecessarily because the, the mind battle is like, oh, well, if I don't like weigh this to the gram, you know, I might submit, you know, deep down physiologically, it's not going to make any difference. So um, I find there's, you know, there can be a lot of anxiety 
uh, which comes around uh, making these food choices. And as you say, most, most, most of us overeat on the weekends. And then Monday or Tuesday comes around, we feel a bit down, like we've let ourselves, uh, you know, certain people feel like they've let themselves down and stuff. Um, but yeah, in general, um, any, kind of, any kind of tips you have um, when, it comes to, when it comes to mental health around food and food choices and all that kind of stuff, Jord? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, number one, if you actually struggle with binge eating or disordered eating, I wouldn't track your calories until you resolve that. Um, and I always, I always say, like, any physical progress made without the requisite mental progress is going to be short term. Mm. So what that means is if you're counting your calories and your physique looks amazing, but you're doing it on a foundation of disordered eating, it will eventually stop. You will eventually start binging. You will eventually lose your physique because it's, you can only sustain that for so long before you click. Mm. So before, if you are counting calories at, and you're doing it at a fear and you have disordered relationship to the food and you're tracking everything and like you're fearful that you're going to go over, you have to stop tracking for a period of time and fix your relationship with food first. Yep. Then once you fix your relationship with food, if you want to go back to tracking, you can, you don't have to, but I would say above all else, the most important thing to remember, if you have disordered relationships with food, if you're fearful of food, you have to remember, and this is really one of the most common sayings that I'll have is you can't fuck this up. And I say this all the time, and it was a big message in the Big Mac Challenge and a big message in my social media overall. You can't fuck this up. It doesn't matter if you go over by 10 calories or 1,000 calories or 5,000 calories. You can't fuck this up as long as you get back on track. And the more you internalize that, the more that becomes a part of who you are and part of your heart and your mind and your soul, the less likely you are to have fear around food, the less likely you are to think that just because you ate a little bit more, because you went out to eat for your friend's birthday, because you enjoyed yourself, God forbid you had an ice cream cone one day, the less likely you are to have fear around it because you don't think you screwed up. It's just part of life. Fantastic. Fantastic. And uh, I was just going to ask you top tips for um, people trying to achieve, achieve, you know, a good looking body because most people are, um, but sustainable health, which is um, what we, what we preach about is the most important thing is to achieve, you know, overall wellness and a balanced lifestyle, I guess. But what are your top tips for, for that, mate? I mean, I know you said don't eat like an asshole. Maybe we'll just keep that one in you. Yeah? <laughs> I would say, honestly, like just from a simplicity perspective, it is don't eat like an asshole, but I would say calories first, protein second, that's number one, uh, training three to five times a week in whatever capacity you enjoy most, um, get good sleep, fucking have a lot of sex. Like that's <laughs> yes. really it. Like I love that. That's it. Enjoy yourself. Don't, don't make your life revolve around fitness. Allow fitness to be a part of an overall healthy life. Amazing. Thanks a lot for your time, George. Um, I'll, I'll put all this in the show notes, but uh, where can the listeners find you? Any, any platforms you have, mate, fire away. Yeah, so YouTube, Jordan Syatt, S-Y-A-T-T. Uh, I have a podcast as well, the Jordan Syatt Mini Podcast. Instagram, Twitter, just Google my name. You'll find a whole bunch of stuff. Awesome. I'll whack most of that in the show notes. Hey, thanks a lot for your time, George. Really appreciate it. Thank you, man. I got to piss super bad, so I'm going to go get going, but I'll talk to you soon, all right? Okay, cheers, George. Thanks, See you, man. mate.